0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Coming up this week on episode 22 of Off Air with Joe
2: and Oral. Our good friend and colleague at Sportsnet LA, Alana Rizzo, joins us. And Dave Roberts, of course, is with us again, telling us his favorite non-Dodgers to watch in the major leagues and also a most awesome Max Scherzer story. Yeah, that involves Rick Honeycutt. It's, it's just, trust us, really funny story. And to an want all-star team. Yes. Yep. Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Shield of California, Postmates, SoCal Honda, and Bank of America. Blue is
1: honest, blue is strong, blue doesn't divide, blue embraces, blue doesn't give up. Blue is courageous, blue is the color of the sky we are all reaching for. Blue Shield is opportunity, Blue Shield is choice, Blue Shield is tomorrow. Blue Shield is healthcare coverage that covers more people.
2: When it's time to choose, choose Blue Shield of California. From Dodger dogs to garlic fries, you can get a taste of the Dodger Stadium experience delivered on demand right to your home through Dodger's Home Plates, exclusively available through Postmates app. You can still enjoy your favorite Dodger Stadium dishes while you cheer on the team from home. As a special offer to our listeners, be sure to use the promo code OFF AIR, O-F-F-A-I-R, at checkout and get a free Dodger dog with your order. Hey, are you winking after you read that like we did on the uh, video commercial? (laughs) I smell something's good coming. (laughs) Yeah, that
1: was a wonderful acting performance by you. Uh, The helpful SoCal Honda people have been stepping up to the plate with their random acts of helpfulness. Recently, they've been helping SoCal residents affected by the pandemic pay their rent and also volunteering at food banks to help feed the community but the helpful Honda people aren't the only ones stepping up to the plate. The Dodgers are once again one of the best teams in the league and a favorite to win their first World Series since 88. SoCal Honda has been helping the Los Angeles Dodgers Foundation at their Dodger Day drive through events throughout the summer. Together, they're working to help thousands of youth and families, and they can help you too with great deals on award-winning Hondas. To check their deals, stop by your nearest Honda dealer or visit SoCalHondaDealers.com. And to request your own random act of helpfulness, follow the SoCal Honda dealers on Facebook. A setback?
2: Well, that's just a comeback you haven't met yet. While this season may look different, let's rally to support our team and a great cause. As the official bank of Major League Baseball and the Los Angeles Dodgers, Bank of America is launching a Let's Rally campaign and donating $10,000 to the Boys and Girls Club of America for each late-inning comeback to the win of a game. Up to a million dollars. As part of the effort to make a difference in the local communities, Bank of America has partnered with Dodger ace Walker Bueller and MLB players from each team to create a unique collection of 30 T-shirts. For each T-shirt purchase, Bank of America will donate $7 to the Boys and Girls Club of America, up to $200,000 for that one. At a time when our country faces its own comeback, Bank of America is excited to use its partnership with Major League Baseball and the Boys and Girls Club of America to give fans something positive to rally around. Learn more at MLB.com slash Bank of America Let's Rally. All right, it's episode 22, Alana Rizzo on
1: Off Air. Hit it, Frankie. Anna, you, Oral, me. All that's missing is our little producer, Mike Levy, and a bottle of wine, huh? One each. Yeah, that sounds good to me. <laughs> don't you miss that?
3: One each and a really fun party limo from Milwaukee to Chicago.
1: Oh, that was the best.
3: <laughs> Much fun. I miss having a social life with you guys. I miss we're at the stadium every day, and this is as close as I've seen you guys this season, really.
1: I know. We may bump into each other when we're walking through the hallways, but we're, what, 100 feet apart, but we might as well be 100 miles apart.
3: I saw Oral one time in the COVID testing line. I haven't seen you at all. I huh. didn't see Rick. I've seen Boyd when I went into your booth to get Hippo for dinner. <laughs> About the extent of the time I've seen you guys. It's very sad. But, by the way, if you want to bring Hippo back, I'm awful.
2: So good. <laughs> I hear Alana every day when she does her hit because we're like five booths away. And it's because of the curvature of the stadium, her voice comes over into our booth.
3: Do you guys hear me laugh when Joe makes like a funny call or you guys – I laugh at what you guys are talking about on the air because I can hear you in my ear and I can yeah. watch the game. sometimes.
2: Yeah, sometimes. we get offended even sometimes.
3: No, oh No, we're I'm laughing not I.
1: <laughs> uh, what – City, non-Denver division, do you miss traveling to the most?
3: Um, I'm a fair weather person. I don't like cold weather, so not Chicago. Okay. Um, I probably would have to say, and I'm also a, are there late night food options and the proximity to the ballpark? So mm-hmm. I go with San Diego. I miss San Diego. Yeah, um, That's a good one um really any city that we could go to that we have a night off in where we could land relatively early and go to a really nice dinner and have you pick the restaurant and have oral pick the wine and i just sit there and enjoy it all
1: (laughs) uh Uh, favorite favorite fun favorite restaurant that you miss oh boy
3: um
2: can't do vespa dipping grill
3: no i'm actually over vesta um where did we go in Arizona when oh. we still had spring training mm. before they shut the world down? And we ate yeah, outside before, and they had the remember, remember the amazing like moonlit sky when we were walking out the door.
2: Yes, and I took a picture. We posted it.
3: We posted it. That yeah. was that's good in Arizona. I know um, what you're talking. I know Arizona about. at Fashion Square um, when we went to that restaurant that you said there's one in Chicago also. Um, maple
2: and
3: ash. Maple and
2: ash. Maple and
3: ash. Yeah. Like every like you're not attractive enough to go in there. Like it's like.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> no, no <laughs> chance. I put so much makeup on, and they still barely let me in. So that was good. <laughs> oh, Alana, did you did you grow up wanting to do this job?
3: No, I actually. Um, didn't really know that this job existed when I was coming up. I didn't go back to school to do this until I was 28. So I was much later to the game and doing it. And I kind of had an epiphany in 2001 between Christmas and new year's. And I was thinking to myself, if there's anything that I could do, what would it be? Cause I've always been a very big sports fan, but I never thought of this as an opportunity to have a career. And my undergraduate degree was international business. And I just, was very unfulfilled in what I was doing and I thought to myself if there's anything I can do if money wasn't an object if I won the lottery what would it be and it was always sports I just have always been a big sports person so I decided at that moment to go back to school and get a master's in journalism because you know my undergrad I already had a bachelor's so I got a master's in journalism at the University of Colorado I went to school there and I I took a second mortgage out of my house I went back to school and paid for it myself and I didn't even know what a beat was at the time I started this. And it was a, a master's of arts and journalism with a sports broadcasting emphasis. And I started at the bottom, didn't know what a beat was my first job. You know, we all start, um, unless you're talented enough to be an athlete like oral, we all start at the bottom. And I started in, Wichita Falls, Texas, and that's kind of, you know, our minor leagues. And I was there for nine months and it felt like nine years, but it was so important to have those moments of, you know, calling Casey Kane, Casey Caney, not being able to pronounce Mark DeShera, not being able to pronounce uh, Michael Kadire, having no idea what the heck I was doing. Um, I didn't even really grow up as a baseball fan. We didn't get the Rockies in Colorado until 93. And by that time I was already a senior in high school, but I do remember my accounting professor and the head men's basketball coach at my high school rolling in a tv so we could watch history in Colorado we watched the first game the Colorado Rockies played at the old Mile High Stadium when it was like you know 86,000 people or whatever the heck it was and uh, you know this was April of 93 and I will always remember that day you know lo and behold many 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 years later they were the first baseball team I covered. So no, I didn't always, I didn't grow up with a microphone in the mirror and, and all of that. I didn't know uh, what I wanted to do.
2: Did you uh, have an early love for baseball or did you learn to love baseball?
3: I learned to love baseball. I had the basic knowledge of baseball. We grew up a very Broncos football, football family. So my dad My love of sports came from my dad. We were a big Broncos family and still are. My family is very dysfunctional, but that's the one thing we can agree on is that our love for the Broncos or our disdain for the Broncos, depending on the year. Um, But I didn't, again, we didn't have Major League Baseball until 93, and it wasn't something that my family really watched. So I grew to love baseball, which now by far, it's my favorite sport. When I first started covering the Rockies, it was more of an avenue to get back to Colorado versus... I really, you know, can't wait to cover baseball. Aaron Cook was their ace at the time, and he, you know, sinkerball guy. I hadn't the slightest idea when I started this what a sinkerball pitcher was. Um, and through, you know, learning and talking to people and and studying, and, and now baseball is by far my favorite sport because I have so much more of an appreciation for it.
1: What about it? Do you love?
3: Um, I love how cerebral it can be. I love the strategy, particularly in the national league. I love how much it is a, a team, a team sport. You know, you think about how football is, they say it's a team sport, but, you know, I really think that it's not necessarily one guy that can impact a game every single day. I mean, if you look at the Dodgers, the way they are now up and down the lineup, and this is a team that of course, Mookie Betts makes every team better, but this is a team that if Mookie Betts isn't in the lineup, the team doesn't fall apart. And I just I, I love how not every ballpark is the same. I love the history of the game and how long it's been going on. And I love the debate between the purists and the people now that you know want things changed. And we're arguing, arguing what rules in 2020 are gonna live on past this year and why that's important. And I love the stories that you know that Joe that you tell and and oral the you know, all the experiences that you had and, you know, the old school versus the new new school mentality and the blending of the, the numbers versus the eye test and and the feel. And there's just so much history and and, um, it's just a beautiful, it's a beautiful game.
2: You spent some time on the national beat with MLB network, but then you come back and you're with the Dodgers, which do you like better as far as I know you have to say the Dodgers, but you know, tell the differences between covering from the Goodyear Blimp, the national, all of baseball, compared to being with the Dodgers with a family.
3: You know, I really missed the the sounds and the sights of a ballpark. There's nothing more special to me than the first day at Camelback Ranch, the first, you know, when pitchers and catchers report, and Dave Roberts comes out to address the media for the first time, and you can hear the cleats on the cement when the guys walk out on Campbell back ranch after their first meeting for, to start this, you know, to start spring. And I missed being at the ballpark and I missed being in the fabric of a team from the day that they arrive at spring training until the day that they're eliminated in the postseason. And with the Dodgers, you know, we've gone every single year um, since I got here and even a year prior to my arrival here and you too oral. So it's, you know, it's um, there's, there's good and bad in both. I enjoyed the national level because I enjoyed exercising that studio muscle. It was very good for me to learn how to ad-lib there. Nothing uh, on national television is prompter, scripted, at least not at MLB Network when we were doing stuff. And it really forced me to learn to, you know, be on the fly and off the cuff and, um, but I missed being at the park. And I think oftentimes national media pontificates and speculates about what's really going on with the team. And when you're with the team, embedded in the fabric of what they're doing on a daily basis you really know what's going on it's not just the surface of like well you know i hear cody bellinger's like this so that we're going to take that and run with it like we really get to know these guys and establish relationships with these guys and it's just it's so important to be able to feel like it's almost like a badge of honor like you're in the trenches with them and while i don't compare myself to a player you know we still live that same schedule and i think that's why this year's so weird because we don't to travel with them. And we don't, you know, we're not going through the same things that that they're going through.
1: Yeah, I was uh, that was going to be my next question for you. It's awesome that baseball is back and we have that to cover each day and we have that distraction each day. But I don't know about for you, but for me, there's this underlying still kind of depression that it's not what we're used to. And such a huge part of what we're used to is being around the team and being there and, and being inside it and being around these people.
3: Yeah, I really wonder if we're we're ever going to go back to normal. You know, I wonder if we're going to have the opportunity to go into a clubhouse and talk to these guys, because it's one thing to be able to do this on a Zoom call, but to really be able to read someone's body language or you, you know them so well and so long that you can tell. Like, I know that when you walk into a clubhouse at a certain time, Justin Turner is doing his crossword puzzle you know, Chase Utley would work out at this certain time, do these certain things. I mean, these guys are such men of uh, routine and I miss those conversations of just talking in the dugout about, about life and about, you know, their families. And, And we've been able to see these guys really grow up in front of our eyes. I mean, I could be half this team's mom because they just keep getting younger and I, you know, I keep getting older, but it's like, we were there when all of them got married in that off season. And now all these guys are having babies and expanding their families. And it's, you know, we get to see them grow up and become better men, become better baseball players. And I miss that face-to-face interaction. I mean, the surface stuff is just so informal and impersonal. And I'm thankful we have this and I'm thankful we have baseball, but I do miss the interaction.
2: Do you have a a favorite person you've interviewed or one that you look forward to interviewing because you know, it's going to be fun.
3: Anyone that will give me an interview is my favorite. (laughs) Um, no, you know, Um, unfortunately, uh, Ross Stripling was one of my favorites. I mean, he was, he's just the, one of the most thoughtful, considerate people, uh, win or lose. He's the same guy, just very, very professional and thoughtful and kind. Um, Rich Hill also very thoughtful and kind. Um,
2: how about your Mount Rushmore kind of like have you interviewed a president? Have you interviewed Sandy Koufax? Or- of,
3: of, of all time or just with yeah. this current team? Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, Sandy. And I remember one time I, I cause I, I, have a very hard time calling Sandy Sandy to me. He's Mr. Koufax and right. just out of respect for, you know, obviously who he is and what he's accomplished and just, you know, um, his age. And he goes, if you call me Mr. Koufax one more time, I will never give you an interview again you know, and that was kind of, I said, okay, you know, obviously um, the opportunity to interview Ernie Banks before he passed away and um, you know, just really cool people that this game has afforded me the opportunity to speak to Don Newcomb, you know, uh, we are so fortunate with this organization to have living legends continuing to walk down our hallways and um, you know, current players, any player, honestly, that's understand that I have a job to do too. And I don't want to be in their space. Like the faster we can do this, the faster I can get out of your way. Um, you know, and anybody that Justin Turner, honestly, regardless if he's five for five, Oh, for five commits three errors, hits three, three bombs. He's, he always posts after the game and he is always there for interviews. And I can appreciate that as somebody that I need you to do your job so I can do mine
1: most intimidating interview
3: Kershaw when he doesn't pitch well is not a good time still still not not a good time but uh, much
2: better better than
3: yeah was. i mean he's better since he became a dad but he still you know it's still he's such a competitor and he's such a fiery competitor that it's not it's not a comfortable interview um, and he's always been kind to me, but you can tell. Like again, it's it's reading that body language and understanding the player and understanding when you know Todd Helton was that guy when I covered mm-hmm. the Rockies. You could tell, like when he was done, he was done. You know, and and again, you establish that relationship with people because you've done it so much that you get to know their, you know, their personality traits and their idiosyncrasies and that body language. Um, you know what's intimidating to me more than the player itself is having to do the translation of Spanish and English back and forth Mm. to make sure that I am representing the player in the way in which they meant to be and should be represented because I never want to misspeak. And I'm not a native Spanish speaker like my mom is, but I think it's so important for these players that are, from Latin American countries that speak Spanish as their first language to be able to have the opportunity to do so because you get so much more out of them. But I never want to offend a native Spanish speaker because I I misspeak. That's and to try to translate in baseball terminology while remembering what they say, that's that's intimidating. That's hard for me to do.
1: It's an incredible skill you have. I mean, you do so many things so well, but your ability to do that separates you from just about any person doing the job that you do. And it sounds like you look at it almost as like a responsibility to do that part of it and do it well.
3: Yeah, thank you for saying that. I do. I, again, I don't ever want to misinterpret what a player is saying and, and yeah. put the player in a bad light um, because I don't think that that's fair. I can't imagine what it would be like for me to do anything and then someone wants to interview me in German. Yeah, yeah. You know, right. and it, I think it would be, it's only fair that if we get our English speaking and American born players the opportunity to speak their piece, we should do the same for our Spanish speaking. And I'm so thankful that a couple of years ago, we finally, we've always had interpreters and translators for our Asian speaking, um, our Asian players that, you know, mm-hmm. speak those languages, but we finally got a Spanish speaking interpreter in every single clubhouse, which is so important because baseball as, as a global game and a lot of, you know, Spanish speaking players in our game, I think that's so important. So they have an opportunity to feel comfortable and get the same amount of, you know, not publicity, but the same amount of attention that they deserve.
2: You know, one of the things that the great Al Michaels taught me, he goes oral, uh, the people don't care about the game until they care about the players. Have you always been interested in people Because you come up with great interview questions and you kind of pry, but it's good because we reveal the person behind the player.
3: Yeah, I think that my strength is the long form sit down connected with type of interviews that we do, getting to know more about the player and what makes them tick and their family. And I find that players always open up more when they're talking about somebody else, whether that's a teammate or their wife or father that you know took him out in the backyard to play catch for the first time or struggles or anything that humanizes a player I try to show our fans that these people are people first and players second and that they're not robots and they have lives and they have families and they get affected and they have emotions and you know they're allowed to have bad days and I think making sure that our fans get a, a humanized View of who these people really are. I think that's why our backstage Dodgers show is so good because what they do on that show really shows players outside of their uniform and, you know, off of the field and, and what they're doing. And, um, I, I just really like a stat. You know every time we go to dinner, I'm the one that's asking, you know, whether it's my friends or my family, a million questions. It's like, I'm always in reporter mode because I do genuinely want to know about people. You know, I'm always asking, I ask you guys, you know, questions too. And when we go out and, um, I genuinely care about the person and and what makes that person tick.
1: You somehow, uh, with the everyday baseball job found time to launch a charity a little more than a year ago. And it has, I mean, tell us about, uh, Guidry's guardians and, and what this has grown into.
3: Um, yeah, thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. Guidry's Guardian Foundation is my passion project. Uh, I adopted Guidry, who's named after Ron Guidry. Um, I joked that Guidry was a Southpaw. Um, but <laughs> I adopted him in 2009 from the Humane Society of Boulder Valley. And I really just, I wanted to get a Border Collie. My sister, Brianna, had, uh, had also rescued a Border Collie um, off of Hurricane Katrina that ended up in Colorado. And she named... That dog, Dang, after Luol Dang, and she doesn't even like that. I don't even know why, but anyway, we always used to call him Dang Dog, and I really wanted a border. So, long story short, I adopted Guidry, and it really opened my eyes to the the absolute need for adoption and rescue in cities such as ours in Los Angeles, where there is a massive, massive overcrowding of shelter problem, and over seven hundred thousand uh, dogs a year across our country get euthanized just based on the fact that there are no rooms and there is no space in shelters. There's a huge backyard breeding problem. There's no legislation to stop backyard breeding. A lot of these dogs are used as, um, you know, profit machines just to breed and then they get dumped. So anyway, I didn't grow up with dogs, wasn't a dog person, but he really opened my eyes to the need for it. And I launched Guidry's Guardian Foundation on the 4th of July of last year. And unfortunately we were all in DC when Guidry passed away and it was in the middle of a game. And I, and I'm not a cry. Like I always joke that I don't have a soul. Like I just don't cry, but I found out that Guidry died and we were in like the fourth inning or whatever playing the nationals on a Friday night. Um, I'll never forget it. And I just, I didn't know what to do. And we're in the middle of our broadcast and I I walked through our dugout and you're not allowed to do that in the middle of the game, but I walked through our dugout and Dave's like, what's the matter? And I was like, I couldn't talk. And I went into his, um, he goes, go to my office. And I was like in there for like an hour. And I come back out trying to compose myself for post game. And you can tell the guys on our team that have dogs because Jock Peterson and and Justin Turner, they like didn't really know how to console me, but they're like, it's, it's so, and Jock's, you know, like, it's okay. You know, it's just very cute how they um, tried to console me, but it's like Guidry was everything to me. And because of him, uh, this foundation has helped to this point about a little over a year, Uh, has helped over 100 dogs in um, high kill shelters or off the streets get the medical attention that they need to find their forever home. So that's what we do. We're basically a a foundation for rescue groups that pulls these dogs out of shelters, uh, helps them get their medical needs, and then we try to place them with their forever families.
1: And if somebody wants to find out more, get involved in it, can they do that?
3: Absolutely, thank you. Uh, we are a 100% donation-based foundation, so thanks to the Bulldog for helping um, with our charitable needs. You can go to at guardian is our uh, Instagram and Twitter handle. It's G U I D R Y S Guardian. Uh, Facebook is Guidry's Guardian Foundation. It's also under my handle at Alana Rizzo, and then the website is guardian.org.
2: So Lana, what's the general average cost to save a dog?
3: Well, to spay and neuter a dog, it's about two hundred and fifty each for spay and neuter. And again, we highly encourage you to spay and neuter your pets because it helps control the pet population. I know I sound like Bob Barker, but he he was onto something there. Um, and just the we take on the hardest cases. I mean, a couple of our hardest cases um, certainly not for the squeamish, but we a dog that was hit and run near USC you know, collapsed lungs, fractured jaw all over the place. That was like $12,000. That's on the wow. high. Um, but now that dog lives at Kiever Vineyards in Napa. He is a winery dog. He literally lives at the winery and then goes home with his parents at night. Um, so that dog was mm-hmm. left for dead by USC. Now he lives in Napa, better life than most of us. We've got <laughs> other dogs that, you know, had their, their tail broken acid poured on them thrown in the dumpster at three weeks old. And now that mm. dog is doing really great, and that was a very high cost too. A lot of the things we do are just, you know, normal vet visit, just the one-time vet visit where Guidry's guardian will pay the adoption fee to a family that is vetted out. We make sure it's the right family, um, you know, and, and then I will pay, or the foundation will pay, you know, the the five to six hundred, eight hundred dollars to have an overall wellness check and just set the pet up for success with their new family.
1: You're amazing, Alana. We're so lucky to have you. Yep, um, and, and this I met is fun. You guys we miss you too it's fun i mean this is like the 2020 version of hanging out i guess we see each other here on zoom while we record this and
2: we'll be together at the park tonight but this is even better we started with wine and then we end up with a dog that lives in napa it's the perfect yeah Um, (laughs) yeah yeah perfect of course alana thank you for coming on
3: all right guys
1: all right Dave Roberts joining us from Phoenix, Arizona. What was the best thing you saw this week, Skipper?
0: Well, the best thing I saw this week was twofold. Actually, it was like two parts. Uh, Kenley and Justin both uh, got to reach the uh, 10-year Major League Service milestone. And uh, we acknowledged that on two separate days in the clubhouse and gave them the stage to kind of talk to the players and staff about what it meant to them. Uh, 10 years of service and so uh that was a lot of fun and also uh jt's wife courtney got uh some individual original tesoro um tequila bottles with uh a picture of himself on there and everyone got one including the coaches so really special couple days
1: we actually had a couple of those make their way up to the booth i texted uh i texted justin and said this is about to be the most entertaining broadcast of the year (laughs)
2: I didn't open mine, but Joe cracked his. Uh, Don't get me fired, man.
1: Uh, Oral, besides watching me crack my tequila and announce a baseball game, what was the best (laughs) thing you saw?
2: Well, you're probably going to have a response to this one, but the best thing I saw was Dr. Halligan and Dr. Moss. So you're going to say, why, I'll bet. Uh, Why? (laughs) (laughs) Our little Yorkie Dodger is having trouble getting into the vet. So uh, we finally got into our vet down in the marina, and uh, we thought Dodger might have a problem because he has a fake trachea. And so they've been taking x-rays and taking care of him. We got him on medicine finally, and we think the trachea is going to be okay. Maybe he's got a little pneumonia. So mm. it was good, it was good to, uh, to be able to see the vets. It's really hard in these times to get in. There's mm. a lot of dogs that are struggling.
0: Absolutely.
2: How about uh, you,
1: Joe? For me, my 4-year-old is
2: finally back to
1: school it's technically not school. It's like pre-pre-K, but she loves it and seeing her go in and come out with a big smile on her face and say, Daddy, I was the leader today because I, I always tell her it's very important that when there's line leaders, it's you. You raise your hand, and she's she's all gung-ho about that to the point where it's probably going to backfire, and she's, I'm going to get a call like your daughter needs to chill a little bit. She doesn't have to be the <laughs> line leader every time, but I'm going to take it while I can get it. <laughs> Uh, Doc, how hot was it this weekend at Dodger Stadium being in the dugout and having to have the mask on in the, in the 105 temperatures?
0: It was hot. it really was. Um, and, and with that our hitting guys did a really good job of managing, monitoring the uh, hitting on the field. So there wasn't much on the field. Um, and you know you never want to complain about things of, as far as wearing the mask. but it was it was hot. Um, but there was kind of like we have a little bit of an air conditioning situation. And uh, I thought we did a good job of kind of rotating the DHS, but man, it, it was hot there and uh, it was good too, but it was a good series. We ended up losing the series, but the, the weather, the temperature, certainly really uh, hot.
2: You know what I was most impressed with is our training staff. We didn't see a lot of like pulled hamstrings or tight muscles or, oh, I got to come out because my rib cage is locking up. They've, they're doing a great job keeping these guys prepared for the hot weather.
0: They are. And, and that's the thing is that it's one of those where as an athlete, it's good uh, until it's not, but I think that for us as athletes, you're always kind of I'm fine, but our trainer training staff does a great job of making sure it never gets to that point. So the conversations we have, um, you know, one-offs about how a player's feeling or what potentially might happen, so it kind of gives me a heads up. But our players really do a good job of staying hydrated and keep moving too.
1: Were you surprised they opened the place up in Arizona on Tuesday night when it was 96 or whatever there? Was it was that ridiculously hot?
0: So I guess that talking to Bob Doty, the visiting clubhouse guy, who's been here forever, he said that they've done that. Um, if it's not 100 degrees, they uh, open okay. it up at game time. So batting practice, it's great. Um, I, so I wasn't surprised. But I'll tell you, the first four or five innings were brutal because it was open, and not because of the temperature, it was the wind and and you got the mask on and then the the wind blowing in your eyes, that dry air. um, So your eyes get dry. Um, But after from like the seventh, eighth, ninth inning, which I think was probably about two hours in itself, (laughs) uh, the wind subsided and then it was very comfortable.
2: I was thinking because their offense has been flat that maybe they opened it up because they wanted the ball to carry a little bit to help their offense.
0: But you know what? That is true. Um, The ball, I don't know if that's the impetus, but it does fly more, and I remember when um, when I played, uh, was playing for the Dodgers, and I remember Kurt Schilling would always have that roof closed because oh. the ball didn't fly as much, and he was a fly ball pitcher where Randy could either have it open or closed, but Schilling always had that roof closed.
2: Randy gave up some runs in a first inning once, and he start, came in and started yelling about it, and they had to go to the umpires and say, we need to close the roof, there's a storm coming. The storm was Randy Johnson's anger.
0: There you go. That's fair. Yeah. That's a storm. I, I get that.
2: Can't you just see him coming off, screaming,
1: close that damn roof? Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm I'm done.
0: No, I yes, agree. I mean, because he's such a nice guy, loves photography. But, you know, those starting pictures, <laughs> and we got one going today on that fifth, on his start day, man. <laughs> He's a it's an out-of-body experience.
1: Uh what is the longest conversation you've had with Clayton Kershaw on one of his start days and you're now five years?
0: Um probably in the middle of the game, how do you feel good? That's it. <laughs> um because before the game it's like uh it's like a head nod like what's up? there's nothing no words exchanged
2: so if Tommy and I were going to go nose to nose Tommy always said I don't mind you talking to me I don't mind you yelling at me we can talk back and forth but we have to do it up the tunnel have you had those up the tunnel conversations not specifically with Clayton but other guys
0: yeah we do um but he's most time on the bench and and I've got a good feel for Clayton and the thing is though you know those superstar pitchers They always feel they're the best option. They always want to be in there, and that's what you want. But his day when he's preparing oral, and and you've seen it, is he's just in that kind of the glazed eyes uh, look, and he's just kind of seeing through everybody, which is amazing.
1: Gavin Lux is starting to look better, isn't he?
0: He is. He he really is. And and I said free and easy uh, to the media the other day, and um, it's just good for Gavin to kind of just be himself. I I remember uh, my first call up. You're up there, there's a lot of information, you're doing different things, and and it's kind of, we just mentioned Clayton and out-of-body experience, it's kind of, I felt that out-of-body, I just feel like I wasn't, I felt like I wasn't myself. And I just told Gavin, I said, hey, at the end of the day, end of the year, I want you to go back and look back at yourself and say, no matter what happens, good or bad, I was still who I was, and I just didn't have that kind of feeling of, I don't know who this guy is taking at bats or playing baseball.
2: I thought the other night, for me, his bat speed increased. It looked like it was more free and easy. I mean, the follow through the bat went all the way around and touched the ground behind him in the batter's box. I hadn't seen that follow through. So for me, it looked like he went from feeling for the ball and kind of really pensive and thinking through the bat to, I'm just going to let it hang out.
0: No, for sure. And I think it's a little bit counterintuitive with hitting where when you want to let it eat and get after it and and really square a baseball up, it actually lets you see the ball better and put your mechanics in a better position to hit, as opposed to being more tentative and seeing the ball to see if it is a strike, and then you're putting a swing. uh, You're typically late, you lose your barrel, and a lot of bad things happen. So uh, just for him to have that good, uh, those bad intentions in the batter's box, as I like to say, um, a lot of good things happen.
1: Excuse the lawnmower going on outside my house right now. Uh, Bueller's blister, big deal. Not a big deal?
0: Um, I would say somewhere, like all things, somewhere in the middle. Um, You know, it's a deal. So it's not something, it's not nothing. Um, But just kind of trying to thread the needle, manage him where he still gets that work because it's not just, you can't just assume that you shut him down for three weeks and he can start game one or game two and he's going to go seven or eight. It just doesn't happen that way. So as a starting pitcher, you need those repetitions. You got to work on your pitch mix you got to continue, continue to feel that kind of buildup, but also the soreness to then get ready another five days after that. So we're managing it. Um, and it's kind of a daily deal. So, um, you know, how we manage his next start, you know, is still to be determined.
2: We're recording this on a Wednesday and we just came off of a four hour and 25 minute game. And it, I've already gone to lunch and I've been out and I, eat at this Mexican restaurant across the street and they're all Dodger fans. But every single one of the waiters that come by or the owner that come by to say hello said, what happened with Kenley Jansen? They're like, what happened with Kenley? Did you see anything? Did you feel anything about that outing?
0: Well, so I noticed that the the cutter wasn't uh, what it has been the last few outings. That's one thing. Yeah. Um, and he was throwing a little bit, a few more two seamers, which I did like actually, but he just couldn't find that in lane. And the bat specifically to Christian Walker, I thought he had him uh, dead to rights and he just couldn't hook that two seamer up and he kept missing up and in three different times. And yeah. then it got to a three, two count where Walker put a really, really good at bat on Kenley. And then it was a cement mixer cutter and he had a Homer. Um, so I think that it's one of those things where it's something he's been working on but i do think that uh the body of work this year um he's just been,
2: pit, he's just reliever of the month so yeah yeah, yeah. Due so due i for
0: think he's going to be fine and it's one of those things that where you have a uh, high expectation of a player that's kind of uh you know what you made yourself into you know there's high expectations but certainly for us to win it all we need Kenley to be right yeah top 4 this week we're going to do top 4 non dodgers Right. Okay. So you said that. So our fans, our listeners, can't be upset at us. This is no. non-Dodger. <laughs> Correct.
1: Correct. Okay. I feel like we should have done non-Mike Trout division too because he's obviously top four, right? But yeah. I actually left Trout off mine just just uh, up front. Top hey, four. As did I. Okay. I did too. Good. All right. Sweet. So we did top four non-Dodger and Mike Trout.
2: Perfect. I did more flashy. You know, I did more fun to watch.
1: Okay. All right, Doc, what's your uh, number four? Favorite non-Dodger to watch in the game right now?
0: My number four is um, Ronald Acuna. Um, I I love the way he just sells out defensively uh, in center field. I love the aspect of uh, speed, power, um, and, and just joy for the game.
1: Oral?
2: Uh, I'm good. This, this is a really hard list because, yeah. uh, there's just so many guys that I love to watch, but, um, I got to pick the guy that I picked to be MVP in the national league, my non-Dodger MVP. I'm going to go with Juan Soto. I love watching Juan Soto. I mean, the guys I picked are all electric. They're strong. They're fast. They play with passion. They wear their emotions on their sleeve and, and he's definitely right there.
1: For me, this one maybe doesn't belong on this day and this year because he's not been as good. But Nolan Arenado, when he's right from the start of the game to the end of the game, it's a thing of beauty watching his complete game, not just what he does at the play, but what he does defensively is so awesome. So I'm going the bigger picture, Nolan Arenado, not necessarily September of 2020. Nolan Arenado is my number four.
0: I love it. I love it. Um, <clears throat> my number three is, uh, piggybacking on oral is Juan Soto. Um, you know this guy is top. Uh, this guy is top two, three hitters in the game. Um, I love his confidence, his swagger, mm-hmm. and this is a guy that was twenty years old. And it's funny is that as I was watching video on him in, in his first year, as he would do that thing when he would take a a ball or a strike. Yeah. And he would kind of walk towards the pitcher. Yep, I wanted to see what he would do with Clayton Kershaw when he faced him in the regular season. And he didn't do that to Clayton, which really made me love him even more because he just had that respect for Clayton. And that's part of uh, a 20 year old intimidating that pitcher. And so but with the respect that he has for Clayton, he still stood in the box, got back in the box, didn't make Clayton wait and still took his at bat. But that swagger that he has hits left and right, incredible.
2: Oh, I think I'm going to get into your guys' list, but because I think we're all going to have this guy, I'm going to go with Tatis Jr. for my number three. I mean, he's just electric. He's just fantastic. I love to watch him play. That what he does on defense is worth the price of admission. And then all of a sudden, you know, you add the offense, it's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, he's he's on my list too. I'm going to get to him in a moment. <laughs> I figured I'd throw a pitcher in there. Too easy to go four position players here. Max Scherzer is my number three. When he gets going and he gets those crazy eyes going and he looks like he's going to rip your head off and then you combine that with the stuff, I just love it.
0: Yeah, you never want to see uh, be opposing Max Scherzer. And, yeah. uh, I don't know if you guys know that uh, that funny story. Did we already share that funny story in the All-Star game with uh, with Honey, Rick Honeycutt oh, and, and Scherzer. Go for so, it. Um, we're in the All-Star game in D.C. and Scherzer is starting the game. And so he's in the bullpen and as he's getting ready for the game, he does this thing, like the guns, like he shoots the guns after he throws a good slide or something. So he's shooting his guns, both guns at the, uh, at the, at the uh, catcher. And so then the bullpen catcher uh, bullpen coach there, I guess they do the same thing back at him. So he pulls his pistols and then they pull his pistols, right? This is after <laughs> when he, when he sinks up a good slider. So then, Honey is like "On what is going on? And he got a kick out of it. And then so in between his uh, start, his warmups, he looks at Honey, who has a, you know, the pitching coach has a towel on their shoulder. And so it's hot in D.C. in July. Scherzer looks at uh, Honey and goes, pamper me. And Honey, and we all know Honey is like looking at this guy who's like just crazy, just I'd ready to compete and kill somebody. And Honey goes, excuse me. He goes, pamper me. And then Honey gets a towel and he's like leaning into Honey like, I want you to dap this towel all over my face. <laughs> so Honey <laughs> takes the towel off his shoulder and starts dabbing his face and taking off the sweat. Oh, no. And he goes, thank you. And he gets back out there <laughs> and he finishes, pitches the one inning, comes out after the game and he goes, hey, Honey. You know, I was just messing with you in the bullpen. (laughs) So uh, you guys got to get honey on it. Oh, for sure. Can can retell that story? But it was the funniest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Oh, that's unbelievable. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Joe, you went with uh, Scherzer. So I'm going to go with my number two. My number two is uh, Francisco Lindor.
1: Oh, good call. I just
0: love the switch bat. Um, it's ironic, as today is going to be uh, Roberto Clemente Day, so I'm sure he's going to be wearing number 21. Uh, he reminds me of a guy that I played with a long time ago, Rob Yalamar. He can. There's nothing on a baseball field he can't do, and he does it with a smile.
2: Oral. This guy is six foot, 190 pounds of energy and passion, Javier Baez. Good call. Yeah, with the Cubs. I, that must be on your list if it's a good call. <laughs> yeah, he's actually my honorable mention. I've
1: got oh. I've got Juan Soto, number two. Uh, we've, oh, yeah? we've said everything there is to say about him. And that gets us to our number ones. What do you got, Doc?
0: My number one, unfortunately, I think we're going to see this guy 18, 18 times a year for the next five years, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. This guy is, uh, you know, you talk about Soto, Acuna, Lindor, um, like Lindor, plays shortstop, premium shortstop. It's 100, a mile, 100 miles an hour across the diamond. It's the the speed. He could be a 40-40 guy if he wanted to be. Uh, just the flair, the swagger, the confidence, the pedigree. And to be quite honest, what's scary when you're a Dodger is that he's making people around him, including the veteran to his right side, Manny Machado, even better. So uh, it's just great for the game, though.
1: He's my number one, too. What is it for you that – because the conversation right now is Soto, Acuna, and Tatis Jr. I think more and more people are probably answering this the way you and I are, but what is it for you that separates him from those two?
0: I think from Acuna, he plays shortstop. Okay. Um, I think for Lindor, I just think that there's just way more power potential. I I think the defense – this year is very comparable. The body of work certainly Lindor has it, but I just think from now going forward, I think they'll be both comparable, and I just think the speed is comparable. Um, and you could all uh, probably give the speed to Tatis, um, mm-hmm. but the power I think is the is the, is the kind of that gets me over he's the suffering. top.
1: And same thing, same thing. Positionally, you take him over Soto because he's doing it at a premium position well,
0: because he's a left fielder and he's mm-hmm. uh, he's decent. Um, but you're talking Tatis is a plus plus all around.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. Or what's your number one? Uh, the, your pitcher? It, I had to take a pitcher, and it's going to be Max Scherzer, and the reason is the, he he's a. from a one to five scale he's a five in every department you want to be for a pitcher i mean he's a five in preparation he's a five in studying his own mechanics he's a five in passion on the mound. he's a five as a gamer he's a five as i he posts up he's a five with movement he's a five with velocity he can change speeds and he's pitched in some of the biggest games in the world and he's performed on that stage so he he carries himself like an ace uh and every portion of his game, you, there's really nothing to critique. No,
3: tonight,
1: absolutely, absolutely, well said, Oral. Tonight, when we're when it's hot in the booth, and I look at you and say, "Pamper me," you'll know exactly. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> I
2: am when we get off this. I am calling Honeycutt right away. Yeah, I am I
3: calling.
0: Uh, I do love to retell that story. It was oh, great.
2: Yeah. It'll take him a little longer.
0: Oh, than it it'll took take you, him about 30 minutes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Doc, uh, Astros coming in this weekend. Do you anticipate any carryover from the extracurricular first time around this year?
0: Um, I, I hope not. And um, I, I think for me, um, we need to, uh, in my opinion, I've said it long. The page was turned. Um, we as, as, a, as a team – Ah, uh, better turn the page because we got to get ready for bigger things. So we're trying to win baseball games. We're trying to uh, get ramped up for October. So um, I, I get the media, the fanfare, love all the drama and and things like that. But that doesn't help us win baseball games uh, in 2020. So for me, uh, I'm just expecting to win two two ball games.
1: Looking forward to rehashing it next week, Doc. We'll talk to you then.
0: All right, guys.
2: Thanks, Skipper.
1: Our mailbag this week. We got a question from Jason Eisenhower. He says, "You guys have mentioned how weird it's been in 2020, but what's been a highlight for you in this unique year?"
2: Oral. I think coming in, I was a little worried about this rule, and I would say my highlight is the extra inning rule. I. I really do like the fact that the fans are going to know that some more excitement is immediately coming after the ninth inning. They might be disappointed that the team just gave up a run and now it's a tie going into extra innings. I like the fact that, you know, you just excitingly tied it up and the very next inning you jump right into excitement. So I have I have a feeling that rule's got a chance of of staying.
1: My highlight so far this year has been the resurgence of Clayton Kershaw and him potentially Mm -hmm. contending for a Cy Young. And then on a personal level, the not traveling is a bummer. We don't like that at all, but it means more time at home. So I'm getting more time with the family. And even, even the home games, we can't be down in the field, so that means there's not much reason to get there any earlier than a few hours before so i do most of my work at home and just get to be around the kids a little bit more i i don't want to do it like this forever but yeah. enjoying kind of a glass half full look at it for now less stress but less fun all at the same for time. sure yeah for sure i mean the the doing the games the road games from an empty dodger stadium
2: mm-hmm. it's never gonna not be weird yeah well we're about to go do another one and see what lights the ghosts turn off and on and how, about How many the helicopter helicopters smoking a cell? Yeah. Helicopters with the spotlight into the booth, and we get to wave to the firemen and the policemen. Yeah. it's <laughs> really interesting. These will be stories we can tell for a
1: long time, and hopefully there'll be stories that people will be like, what? What was going on then? Because
2: that's nothing like the world is now. My fingers are crossed that. Well, I was even thinking about, like, Charlotte's going off to school, mm-hmm. and she'll remember this time in her life. I don't think Blake will remember this, you no. know, as, as young yeah. as he is. What is he, 19, 20 months? But Charlotte going off to school for the first time and, and and going to kindergarten with a mask on, and she's going to remember this and be telling that story to her grandkids someday. You think
1: she will remember it?
2: I would, well, the pictures. See, when I was that young, I remember when my parents would show me a picture. If you told me, tell me about that year, I couldn't tell you. They show me a picture, uh, like at Christmas and the toy I was opening up, and I'll go, I remember that toy. I remember how you used to decorate the Christmas tree, Dad. I remember that you went down, and in the middle of the night I couldn't sleep because I heard pounding in the basement, and you were making my ping pong table. You know, that the pictures start to bring back the memories for me.
1: I'm sure that's something that like psychologists or whoever you know smart people Studies are studying us. right now <laughs> uh, and moving forward is how our memories are impacted by things like that by having basically um, seeds for those memories, sparks right. for those memories digitally. Mm-hmm. It's for a sure. fascinating
2: thing. yeah, because I, I can't remember all the games that I pitched, but if I could remember while I was still pitching, when the hitter got in the box, I could all of a sudden replay all of the different at-bats and how I got him mm-hmm. out or what he hit and what I, how I sequenced it. But as I was studying it going into the outing, I was grinding to remember it. But it all came back because of the visual of them getting in the box, having the whole surrounding in context and going, oh, okay, I got this. Huh. I, could, I could see it.
1: What are you most looking forward to this week, or should I just say, Oral, you're most looking forward to having three days off in a row this week? and answer it for you?
2: Yeah, and in the middle of the day, the Saturday, since I'm having that off, and I think you're working that day, Uh uh, I'm going to go play golf with my son and Matt Young, the ex-big leaguer. Matt Young was a Dodger reliever, pitched for Seattle, and his son, Clay, so we have a nice father-son foursome. Annandale? Annandale. Yep. I'm going to be at Annandale in Pasadena and I checked the temperatures before I committed to it. It's supposed to be maybe high of 90 or 91. I'm like, that's going to be okay for me. I don't think I'll have shorts
1: on. Okay. So
2: no shorts. That's okay. That's okay.
1: That's, that's whether you can get away with wearing pants.
2: How about you? What are you going to looking forward to?
1: So I've got football for the first time this weekend, but football in 2020, at least right now for me is done out of a studio. In Los Angeles at the Fox Studios, which means I don't have to miss any more Dodger games, as I mentioned. Not only am I doing football Saturday, it's a 9 a.m. Pacific time game, so I'll go to the Fox Studio, do that 9 a.m. game. I'm also doing Dodgers-Astros for Fox. I'll move over one studio and call a Major League game a few hours after that college game.
2: So, I'm not sure all of our listeners know this, but your dad is your spotter. He is. Now, What do you when you do a football game in studio, do you have a spotter still? Yeah. What are going to do? We, I mean, this is unprecedented.
1: We, we've never done this, but we're going to be calling it off a big monitor, and he'll be watching the game off the big monitor with me and spotting that way. So, dad's flying in for this. He is. Yep, flies in. Uh, I guess people are going to be downloading this, listening to this Thursday morning, this afternoon. Thursday afternoon. Wow. Now, is and mom yes, coming that, too? That's uh, what's that?
2: Is mom coming? To just, or just,
1: just dad? dad for this trip. Um, and I mom's think not that's, on the fox expense, expense account. No, no. <laughs> That's the other thing I'm looking forward to. That's a really special thing, getting to yeah. work with my
2: dad during football season
1: and getting our uh, our season started.
2: How did that work? How did that work at the very beginning? Like, Dad, will you spot for me? Or he was traveling and you lost your spotter, so you said, hey, Dad, fill in.
1: Yeah, it's you get to choose your own statistician and spotter. And I've had the yeah. same statistician for football since I started doing national TV football 2000. Uh, f- 13 or 14. Barry Allen is his name. He's from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Mm-hmm. And met him while I was doing Montgomery Biscuits game. So he's been my stats guy the whole way. But as my dad started to retire from coaching football... I mm-hmm. just it just kind of dawned on me this would be a perfect position for him and I had used a couple of different guys as my spotter my first couple of years but then it just made too much sense like I never want to be the guy calling people and telling them I don't need them anymore but that was a pretty easy excuse to give those people that I said I didn't yeah. need them anymore my dad's gonna do it right you can't get mad at me if I can have my dad <laughs> argue with that me, one <laughs> getting paid and uh, yeah so looking forward to getting the season going with him again fantastic and then we'll be together again for a fun series against the
2: Padres next week we're not going to be apart the rest of the Dodger season no you and me together forever so I guess it's time for me to say I love you buddy love you too